Hey everyone, welcome to episode 93 of the MTG Grindcast, the second placiest podcast <laughs> in all of... I mean, we gotta be like the second placiest podcast in the world, at least like for at, a week or so. At least for this weekend. Yeah, 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 yeah absolutely. Um, with a special <laughs> focus on the SCG Tour, where we just played in SCG Richmond. Yep. Uh, I'm sitting here with Collins Mullen. How's it going, Chris? Second place in the Open. Indeed. Pretty good. I'll take it. I got second place in the Modern Classic. Yeah. Which, honestly, like, probably just exactly as good as second place in the Open, right? Well, yeah. For, it's know, the same. It's you know, exactly you, you the same. You took Modern, I took Standard. It's, it's fine. fine. <laughs> I mean, you're, you know, you're just playing week one Standard, you know, really skill-intensive deck building sort of format really got to figure a lot of stuff out all at once and you you went and you did fine yeah and i played modern and grabbed a list off of twitter and changed four sideboard cards and played the same deck i've been playing for six months now genius yeah so like honestly same skill sets i would say (laughs) yeah yeah i mean well overall phenomenal weekend uh really happy with it you know feel super justified with my deck choice my preparation um i feel like it feels like extra good because I I could tell that I put in so much work mm-hmm. throughout the whole week leading up to the to the event. I feel like every time I stopped by the house because I have not moved into our new house yet, not quite. Yeah. But I felt like every time I stopped by, you were just finishing up a mono red league. Yes, so. I probably went through. I, I don't even know, tw- more than 20 leagues You can't this even week. tell right. because yeah. they're all exactly the same after right. some point. Yeah. And- <laughs> they were all 4-1s <laughs> pretty much. <laughs> it was great. I was like, I'm going to win this tournament because if I just 4-1 yeah, three leagues in the you, tournament. If you string three 4-1s, like, yeah. that is a top eight. Right. I didn't know exactly what my top eight would look like. You know, losing the final sounds about right. Yeah. So. <laughs> that's at 4-1 win percentage. Yeah, really. that's about right. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Because yeah. you, you, like, win two, lose one, win another to right. start the next league exactly yeah but yeah no okay put in a lot of work with monored yep all of my leagues with, with monored i pretty much locked in what i was playing on like tuesday because even at that point in the testing process everybody was screaming about nexus 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 everybody's playing nexus mm-hmm. and i just couldn't really lose with monored in most matchups and it destroyed nexus yeah so i was like all right i'm just gonna i'm just gonna run this <laughs> and slowly over the course of the week of testing, you know, everybody I, else sort of. Everybody else was like, well, uh, Nexus continued to be a huge, you know, topic or whatever, which was, you know, and it turned out to be the most popular archetype as we expected, which was awesome. Yep. But people started to figure out that, oh, red is the real deal. Mm-hmm. And I was just jamming mo- more moto leagues <laughs> with it, you know? <laughs> like, oh no. And, you know, a lot of the team was like considering switching over and everything. <laughs> yeah. Well, and by the end of the day, we pretty much had. You know, I, I am not a member of Team Lotus Box or anything, but we had a team deck by the end of the day. Yes. And really, like, everybody that we're close with ended up on Mono Red. Yeah. Unless they, like, very specifically chose not to play Mono Red. Our entire house pretty much ended up on the same list. Mm-hmm. You and Zan, and I think Jeremy as well, audible to some Chandras in the last minute. Yeah, like um, three fen- Frenzies and one Chandra in the right. sideboard. Yeah, I just kind of stuck with what I was jamming all week. Yeah. Yeah, loved it. Yeah. So we'll, we'll we'll go over like the concept of the deck. We'll do a quick keeper mull, yeah, from this deck, yeah. and then we'll sort of discuss how this deck came about, what its place in the metagame is, that mm-hmm. sort of stuff, and then just all the other things we learned about new standard from yeah. the first first tournament for sure. So tell me about this hand. Okay, so one of the more interesting hands that I ended up keeping mm-hmm. um, was when I played against Will Pulliam in the Swiss. Yeah, and 
uh, he won game one um, because he has four Chandra's in the main, and I have nothing in the main deck that's yep. remotely good in the mirror. Yeah. <laughs> other than just really trying to get my opponents dead. So I lost game one. Uh, game two, I mulliganed to six. Mm-hmm. And my six was five lands and a fanatical firebrand. Beautiful. Uh, be- beautiful, question mark. <laughs> yeah. And I I decided, spoilers, I decided to keep it. Mm-hmm. Um, but for a very specific reason. Yep. So the mirror for Mono Red is really all about the all of the resources trade off. Because everybody has a bunch of burn and a bunch of creatures. Mm-hmm. And you can't really afford to let any creatures hit you ever. Otherwise, you're going to get fall behind and get burned out. Yeah. So you, the way that the matches always play out pretty much every time is you're, you play threats, your opponents kill them, and your opponents play threats and you kill them. All the, everything trades. <laughs> Literally everything trades. And you have to do a little bobbing and weaving. You like just can't afford to let a lot of stuff get hit by Chain Willer for free because mm-hmm. then you're down a free resource. That's really bad. Yep. So, you know, you're never just, like, jamming your Steamkins into their, like, turn three or anything like that. Right. Um, and even, like, playing this little sub-game of, like, trying to, to get a Steamkin up to four is, like, honestly how I won most of my game ones in the mirror. It was <laughs> like I would just, like, bend over backwards sandbagging a Steamkin. Oh, yeah. A lot of um, my turn threes in the mirror are, like, Steamkin with a mountain up and shock in hand. Right, Like, exactly. keep this survive, make it a 4-4 yeah. next turn. Right. But, you know... Given all of that, the cards that break that element are Experimental Frenzy and yep. Chandra. Just yep. the bomb four drops. It's kind of all about that post board. Mm-hmm. And I figured that with my, if I went to five, then it was so like it would be so likely that you know I would only have like one or two lands to operate with. Um, I you know I wouldn't be able to like hit my fourth land drop very easily to be able to play one of my bombs or whatever. So the the five lander with a, just like with one bad spell in it, I was like, okay, if I can find a frenzy, it doesn't really matter what right. was in my hand. The frenzy is just gonna be able to take over from there. Yep. So, and you have four frenzies. Yeah, and and that kind of just kind of goes to show how impactful these sideboard cards, or and not sideboard cards, but these four drops are in the mirror. Mm-hmm. So like if, if if one player has them, it's pretty much over. And it, if the other person doesn't have one. Um, and, this, and this is maybe one of the bonuses of Frenzy over Chandra. You know, yeah. this is a spot... Having Chandra in my deck doesn't make me think, like, well, five mountains and a one-mana spell right. is a hand that can win the game. Mm-hmm. But Experimental Frenzy is different. Yeah. Um, yeah, Experimental Frenzy just kind of breaks it wide open, for sure. So, yeah, I kept I kept this, this crazy six-card hand, and I just bottomed, a, like, a good spell that wasn't a Frenzy. Yeah. It wasn't a Frenzy. Just gotta maximize I just have to maximize my chances of finding Frenzy. Drew Frenzy, won that game. It was great. Yep. But I never would have thought I would have kept a hand like that, kind of going into this tournament. But I think it's just, I think it's just right. Now, question. Your turn five Frenzies, if you have a land and a Frenzy in hand, you... Play or I guess that obviously you play the land. Before okay, I, I had this down to a science. Okay, Chris. yeah. Are you well, ready? Tell me, tell me. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I want to know. There is a specific point, a number of an lands. inflection point. Yeah, yeah, there's an inflection point. So if you have four lands in play, yep. and, and your hand is mountain experimental frenzy, mm-hmm. you always play the land yeah. before the frenzy because having lands in play is so crucial to your frenzies being good. Right. You just have to have a lot of lands in play. And honestly, hitting a land drop when you're frenzying off is the best feeling. Like, mm-hmm. you want to do that every turn right. that you're frenzying The off. worst is when you have five lands 
and you hit a three drop and then and another three drop. Exactly. That feels yeah. terrible. Really bad. Really bad. So lands are really important. So there's there's the inflection point, and I would say the inflection point is probably like I would even go so far to say if you have eight lands in play, then you can you can mm-hmm. assume that you're gonna have four mana's worth of stuff and and then be able to hit a land. Yeah. Um, when you're frenzying off. But even with seven, I think that those extra lands that you play, I'm like willing to brick off of having, I'm, I'm willing to brick off of hitting a land on top in order to get that eighth land in play because that's going to make your future frenzy turns so much better. Yeah. And that's that's pretty much the way I felt. Like you need kind of a silly number of lands in play before you're like, yeah, yeah this I'll give up the land yeah. drop this turn. Yeah, just play the land from your hand because you're going you're gonna to need it. You'd be surprised. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the more lands you have, in play, the crazier your frenzy turns can get. Right. So, and of course, it's super clear when you only have four lands in play because then your like ideal scenario is hitting right. mountain on like the odds of hitting mountain one drop. That's the yeah. only scenario right. where that's better than yeah. And you know, and if if that doesn't happen, which is really unlikely to happen, then you're choked on four mana with your frenzy, that's and that's, way worse. Oof, yeah, that's that's not what you want for sure. Um, okay, so so tell me about this deck. This is sort of. An iteration of well, and also tell me about the tournament. But uh, <laughs> the deck itself is like an iteration of the mono red deck from sort of the tail end of last yeah. constructed season, right? Yeah. Shout out to Zan Syed for did a lot essentially of work on this. building this list. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I did a lot of work testing and everything with him, but but Zan's a very good optimizer. Yeah, and and he put in a majority of the work, I would say, t- to this list that we played. Mm-hmm. So uh, initially we started off with 18 land mono red, yep. where our philosophy was that we didn't want any big four drops in the main deck, mm-hmm. but we did want access to the frenzies in the sideboard. Yeah. Um, because we figured that having access to that kind of thing is better post-board when your opponents are prepared for your general plan. They're yep. going to have more like stuff that gains life and it disrupts your general aggro plan, so you need like a big haymaker to take over the game. But in game ones, you're much more likely to be able to just completely roll your opponent based on the fact that your deck is really nuts. <laughs> right, and they they kept a yeah. hand not knowing that you're mono red, and mm-hmm. they can only you can only play so many moments of cravings right. and similar cards main deck. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so lightning strike to the face is a way better plan when your yeah. opponent did, doesn't yeah. know that's what's going to happen. Right. So so we initially started off with like really low to the ground, eighteen land. Mono red, just trying to get our opponent said. We ended up kind of shifting it up a little bit. We went to 19 lands because mm-hmm. um, we're cowards. <laughs> I just never. <laughs> and I, I know it's not important to make a land drop every turn with mm-hmm. your burn base deck. A lot of times you can operate on two for a little while before you have to cast your chain whirlers and stuff. Yeah. But I even on like 20 land mono red, I get chain whirlers stuck in my hand enough. That no, it happens a lot. It does. Yeah, that 18 sure. just seems like. 18's really You're really cool. asking for it, I feel like. You, honestly, you are. Yeah. I, I love 19 lands. <laughs> I think it's a great number uh, for this style of strategy in this deck. 20, 20 is defensible. Mm-hmm. If you're a coward like Will Pulliam, then you, you well, can run 20. <laughs> Will had four Chandras in his main deck. Yeah, so okay. I think 20 is even cutting it close for him. He, he, yeah. had, he didn't have 21. He had 20. Mm-hmm. He had 20. Yeah. I mean, honestly, four Chandras and 20 mountains to me is kind of brave. So that's that's fair. I understand. <laughs> I do. I understand. The deck was phenomenal the whole weekend. Yeah. And so and the kind of the primary reason why I played it was that it beat up on Nexus really well. And I expected that to be everywhere. Really well. We actually we have matchup percentages here and it looks like 
Mono Red's win rate versus Nexus was is somewhere in the neighborhood of like 70-75%. Yes, yes. It, it feels good. Yeah. And the first round that I played of this tournament, I sat down uh, and my opponent was playing Nexus deck. I killed him on four twice. <laughs> and oh. it was just, uh, you know, pretty good start to the tournament. So that's cool. Mm-hmm. Um, I sat down for the first round of the tournament <laughs> and my opponent plays a mountain. Uh-huh. Okay. I play... A Gitu Lava Runner. Yeah. My opponent plays a Rootbound Crag and a Thorn Lieutenant. Oh, <laughs> And I did, could not deal damage to my opponent that game. Yeah, that's rough. So, <laughs> yeah. Our starts were very different. Our finishes, to the open at least, were very different. Yep. Yeah, fair. Sometimes lucky. Yeah. So I played against Nexus round one. Mm-hmm. I didn't play it a single other time until round 13, I think. Okay. So you um, weren't just getting... The god pairings that that wasn't how no it started yeah I, that certainly is not what ended up happening this tournament. Also, I love that I get to be this person now. Uh-huh. Uh, I didn't win a single die roll day one. <laughs> <laughs> I always rag on people for saying stuff like that, but it happened to me, and I was like, "Whoa, <laughs> cool!" And I was eight ones. So I was like, "Phenomenal, <laughs> phenomenal day one." But I, I just like I didn't win a single die roll day one. I won two die rolls day two. Felt, felt good. Felt good. And then you didn't need to roll dice in the top eight, at least. Oh, yeah. First seed. First Let's seed. go. Yeah. <laughs> Bet that felt nice. Yeah. Yeah. Although, I think we still don't quite know if it's right to be on the play in the mono red mirror. I think oh. you want to be on the play by, like, a little bit. You you, you do want to be on the play. But it's, mirror. like, it's, it's kind of close. It, it is kind of close, for sure. Um, And honestly, if you are on 18 lands then you're kind of more incentivized to take the draw in the mirror. How can you ever play... An early frenzy on right. the play with eighteen lands. Yeah, yeah. You you just want to maximize your chances of being able to get a frenzy in play. Yeah, pretty quickly. Yeah, but you no, know, being on the play is so important because there are a non-zero number of games where it comes down to a burn yeah. strategy. Well, and I know um, that you at one point. I don't know if this is your philosophy still. But I know at one point you were keeping some risk factors in in the mirror. Is that? It's true. I. <laughs> I did kind of waffle some of my plans over the course of the tournament, yeah. and we can talk about that in uh, versus Esper Control. I definitely needed to do some additional figuring out over the tournament, and then I, in the mirror, based on like my conversations with people, I talked to uh, Patrick Sullivan about his plan in the mirror, yeah, and he mentioned that he liked risk factors in the mirror mm-hmm. just because in the games where your opponent has a frenzy and you don't. You got to give yourself you a chance. You have to have some sort of shot right. at burning them out before they get to take over the game. Yeah. And Respector can do that. But it's kind of only good if you're on the play and are able to put pressure on your opponent. Right. You and need to have creatures dealing yeah. a little bit of damage to them. Right. Yeah. So I there was a point where I thought it might be a little defensible to have risk factors in on the play. Mm-hmm. Um, I now think that's just b- bad. I think that you just can't really afford to have risk factors because if you... The, the likelihood of it coming down to a, you know, like, you have board presence, your opponent doesn't, and you're getting in damage style game is pretty small. Yeah. So I want to maximize the chances of, like, how I expect the games to play out. Yeah. Well, one um, of my mono-red mirrors, my opponent was able to put a little bit of pressure on me, mm-hmm. and then she cast Risk Factor, yeah. and it was amazing. Yeah. Meanwhile, I have right. two risk factors in my hand, <laughs> and they're just the worst card you could possibly imagine. Exactly. Right. So... Uh, so it's, I think that you, if, if you're bringing him in, you can only ever do that on the play, mm-hmm. but I, I don't really recommend it. 
Yeah. Um, I, I cut a line in the mirror. I, I think just the chances of it being dead are too high in a mirror that comes down to just shooting burn spells at creatures. Yeah. So. Right. Um, yeah, but so as far as the rest of the tournament. Um, yeah, so I mean, I just, I don't know. I just didn't really lose much. <laughs> I uh, I ate one day one and then I was like, all right, I just got to four one another <laughs> another league yeah. tomorrow. No, eight one is a great place yeah. to be after day one. That's yeah. That's what you want. Um, and I, I was able to 4-1 day two and then draw in the last round. A couple of kind of like interesting scenarios were <laughs> in day two, my opponents were not very good at operating their lands in their instep. <laughs> I had kind of two scenarios where that came up. Um, one of which was against a Nexus player mm-hmm. who kind of did a shortcut that I accepted that ended up really punishing him. He had eight lands in play, and he like played a Tamio, played another, he played his third Wilderness Reclamation. Mm-hmm. So he's tapped out, going into his instep. And he, but he has so he has three Wilderness Reclamations. So he goes to his instep and he's like, "All right, I'm going to just go ahead and float twenty four mana." So that's all of his Wilderness Reclamation, right? So that that's mana. that's all of the mana that he's going to have access to. Mm-hmm. But, and I was like, okay, that's fine. So we put out 24 dice and, or not 24. He put out 24, yeah, on dice and, um, you know, started just casting spells. And I was like, all right, I'm dead. You know, because he he just floated 24 mana and he's just, you know, he's casting. Right. um, But you at least got. Draw cards and and stuff. Uh, But I, he kind of like got halfway through it and I noticed that he was bricking. Mm -hmm. He didn't have another, he didn't have an excess of fate. Yeah. And. Uh, so he cast an insight, he flashed it back, he cast another insight, he flashed it back, he like cast an opt, he cast a, another thing. And I could just tell based on, you know, watching him do this and his facial expression that he wasn't getting there. Uh-huh. And, but then I noticed as he's doing all those things, that all of his lands, like physically, are still untapped. And, and I was like, hang on, if you floated 24 mana, your lands should all be tapped, right? And he looked at it and he was like, oh no. <laughs> because apparently he had like two counter spells in his hand. And he was he was very dead on my next turn. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And he uh, and he like had his plan, his like backup plan, because he bricked, was I'm assuming to like pass the turn with some counter spells up or whatever. Yep. He probably had a root snare or something. Right. But since he tapped all of his mana, then he was tapped out on my turn and I was able to kill him. So I kind of <laughs> snuck away with that one. And then I had a uh, Esper control player forget their untapped trigger with Teferi mm-hmm. and had a Dovin's Veto that they weren't able to counter one of my spells with. It was really good for me. Yep. So, you know, a little bit of luck involved. That'll do it. A little bit of luck involved, but we, we, we got there. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. But, uh, I mean, you got to be, you have to have a certain amount of luck to oh, get to X2 sure. at the end of a, Absolutely. an yeah, open. Yeah. You know, and I... I was drawn. I was drawn pretty well. Yeah. But the good the good thing about mono red is that it it doesn't really have a fail rate in terms of just like being able to enact your plan well. Esper control has a huge fail rate where they just like draw only like they they can draw only their card advantage cards and mm-hmm. no interaction, or they can draw only interaction and then flood out and die because they didn't draw their card advantage to cards. Mono red, you know, you just like mulligan to a curve, and then yeah. it just does it. Yeah, <laughs> you know, <laughs> especially if you're 
playing it on Magic Online a week ago and London Mulliganing with the deck. Yeah, uh, I I farmed a lot of Moto money based on <laughs> just playing Mono Red with the London Mulligan rule while I was still there. <laughs> Turns out the London Mulligan rule is really good for for active strategies, especially Mono Red. Makes um, sense. Yeah. That was yeah. pretty good. And post board, you get to London Mulligan with your experimental frenzies in mind. Mm-hmm. And... Yep. Yep. No, yep. it's nice. Um, so yeah, well, congratulations on the second place. Yeah. Unfortunately, Chandra versus no experimental frenzy was too powerful to overcome in the finals. It, well, it was pretty fitting because the whole day <laughs> I was completely trash talking Chandra. Uh, partly because y'all had it, y'all had one in your sideboard, <laughs> and I didn't have any. And then Will was just on four main deck, and I was like, Chandra's so bad. It's so bad compared to frenzy. I lose the tournament to a Chandra ult, of course. Classic. Yep. yep. Punished. Justice. <laughs> so I leaned over to Lee as Jonjo was about to ult, and I yeah. said, all right, so in order to win, Will needs to remember to ult his Chandra yep. and remember his trigger. Uh-huh. Both of which happened. But, and he needed to do both of those things. Right. And then draw a spell. But he did both of those things. Oh, yeah. And then hit one <laughs> spell in his top seven. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, for sure. No, it was it was good. And honestly, the, the Chandras are... They're good. Yeah. And in the mirror... It doesn't really matter if you have a Frenzy or a Chandra. If your opponent doesn't have a similar engine, right. you're just going to win. And, you know, game three of the finals, Will drew Chandra. I didn't draw my Frenzy, mm-hmm. and Chandra took over, and I lost. Yep. And, you know, makes sense. And she does some impressive stuff. Just sitting there, like, if you're in a matchup where there is no Vraska's Contempt kind of, or, you know, that sort of Planeswalker removal. Yeah. She's just sitting there as a Lava Axe that also gives you card advantage. No, yeah. And in the in all the creature matchups, Chandra is phenomenal. Yeah. Like, I, you know, I, I was definitely trash-talking it all weekend, but Chandra's very strong Planeswalker. Yep. Definitely does the job in all the creature matchups. She is very oppressive. Yeah, and if she stays in play in the control matchups, she's also, you know, just an Outpost Siege, and that's, that is a fine thing yeah, to have. Yeah, of course. So, yeah. Um, outpost Siege that eventually... Domes your opponent for yes, seven. Right. And and honestly, I think that one of the biggest reasons that Chandra Torture Defiance was so strong mm-hmm. was that Chandra Torture Defiance had the same plus to seven win the game. Yeah. And so does this Chandra. Plus yep. to seven win the game. Yep. It's just, you know, feels good. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, she's, you know, not, doesn't have the versatility of Torture Defiance, obviously. Right. But, of course. But still does similar things to games in especially like the control kind of matchups yeah. for sure and against mono red i honestly would rather play against tortured defiance yeah because then you'd at least be able to like spend two burn spells to get the planeswalker off the board right you just can't you can't <laughs> afford to do that in, against this genre right because you you're shocking in lava strike or in lightning striking yeah. yourself yes when you very do bad yeah. yeah very bad for sure yeah yep. um but yeah no i mean shout outs to will very deserving champion um, yeah do this top eight what a topic. This topic was uh it was crazy. Uh I knew everybody in this. I yeah, I know every single one of these names. <laughs> right. Yeah. Uh I think I talked to every person in this top eight except for like Harlan this weekend. So <laughs> right, right. Yeah. Yeah, I, d- I didn't get the chance to talk to Harlan too much either. Yeah. And that's a bummer. But uh yeah, I mean this tournament was a lot of a lot of names in it. And you know, I think part of that's because the tournament was kind of small. 
Um, There's only like 450 people there. So everybody you played against was like, like you know. But part of it's right. also because it was week one standard, which mm-hmm. I think favors people who have good instincts, have a lot of practice, and also, you know, know people that they're working with and can puzzle out this format before all the deck lists are out. Yep. Um, and I think a lot of week one standard tournaments tend to favor people who are working really hard on, on week one standard, so... Yeah. No, yeah, I mean, and uh, everybody in the top eight definitely put a lot of work into figuring things out. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So some of the other decks, because it was not just mono red. And, I don't know. I'm seeing, of, I'm seeing a lot of mono red. There's a lot of mono red. Yeah. I do yeah. like how Will, Ethan, and I were the top seeds of the turn. We were the only X2s in the last round. Yep. And we for second and third. For second, third. Got there. Mono red. <laughs> let's go. Yeah. A little bit of Esper Control, Zach Allen. Yes. You know, wins wins a modern open with Esper Control. Top eight's a standard open, Esper Control. Yeah. Really Zach's just, just doing it. Zach's on a heater with Esper. Yeah. It doesn't matter what format. No. Yeah. Which is awesome. You know, Zach was... I played, played him twice this tournament. He's a fun guy to hang out with. Really enjoyed that. So... Big of you not to mention I beat him twice this tournament. Uh, I wasn't going to mention that. <laughs> I did beat him twice this tournament, though. Now that you bring it up. <laughs> <laughs> I only say that because I know he listens to this podcast. Oh, okay. So. <laughs> okay. Well, okay, cool. Hey, Zach, what's up? Yeah, no, and that was fun. He, um, I, I ended up switching back to in our for our game three in the semis. I ended up switching back to the plan that I know and love against Esper Control. Mm-hmm. There's a pretty big debate over whether or not you want frenzies in the matchup. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was talking to Zach about this a little bit after we played in the Swiss, where I like. All of the games that I ever won against Esper Control this tournament, and I played it five times, mm-hmm. and I only lost to uh, Edgar. Mm-hmm. The all of the games that I won were just based on me applying pressure consistently with a little bit of board presence and burning my opponent out. Mm-hmm. Um, all of the games that I lost involved me trying in some way to figure out how to get an experimental frenzy into play. Mm-hmm. They, Esper is just so well prepared to play the game of, you know, dealing with a four dealing mana with, permanent. Dealing with a four mana permanent. Mm-hmm. You know, they can just, they can just absorb it. Yeah. <laughs> I don't, you don't want to cast a four mana sorcery speed thing against a person with absorb up. <laughs> and, and honestly, I, you know, for probably the first like three matches that I played against Esper, I did have the experimental frenzies in. Mm-hmm. But then I was like, I, I just want to try being as lean as possible. Mm-hmm. Trying to burn them out, and that plan ended up working out a lot better against Esper Control. Okay, because you just don't have clunkers in your hand. Mm-hmm. You you know all the cards that you draw can translate into damage, and you don't have to like play this game that you don't want to play of like you know trying to make it go a little longer. They have four Teferis in their deck, two Mortifies. That's just enough to make me off of. And you know what? I one of the matches that I lost, one of the several matches that I lost mm-hmm. this weekend, I was playing against Esper. I finagled the game so that I got an experimental frenzy in play. Yeah. My first frenzy turn was cast a second experimental frenzy, <laughs> which is okay if you think experimental frenzy is really good because it means right. now they can't mortify you off of experimental frenzy. Right. But it also like kind of gets rid of the second part of experimental frenzy, which is, all right, I'm done frenzying and now I have seven spells in my hand, blow this up, kill you with my seven spells. Yes. That becomes a lot harder. But so my first turn was experimental frenzy. My second turn was Mountain. 
yeah. go. Right. <laughs> and then my opponent's just like, all right, well, flip this as Kanto, play it to fairy. And then all of a sudden, I'm not getting more value than my opponent. I'm yeah. frenzying, but they, like, cast an Enter the God Eternals and killed one of the guys I put into play, gained a bunch of life, and then just started killing me with this 4-4. Yeah. And then I have to choose, like, am I going to try to burn this 4-4? But if I don't hit the running burn spells to do it, and I... Probably, like, switched plans one too many times with the Frenzy. Um, probably, I'm sure there was a line that would have given me a better chance of winning the game, but sort of, like, the thing that was important kept being a moving target. Yeah. And it was really difficult, and right. I was just not really getting... Yeah, I never had, like, one of those really good Frenzy turns, yeah. but you shouldn't need that to make Frenzy a good enough card if you actually want it in the matchup. So there's sometimes where... It, they just outvalue your frenzy because their deck is so good at getting value. Yeah, right. And, you know, it definitely does add, like, you know, it has that, like, percentage of failure rate mm-hmm. that is definitely exists. And uh, if that's your entire plan for the matchup, it, it can be difficult sometimes. Yeah. But, but sometimes you get a card absorbed, and then you're like, dang, I don't have any frenzies in my deck. I don't think I can deal the rest of the damage. Right, and that is kind of, like, the feel-bad of the plan that I like the most in the Esper control matchup where mm-hmm. there are games where you're like, all right, it's over and I have no outs to win anymore. Yeah. Um, but, you know, that... But that doesn't mean that your win percentage is lower. That just feels particularly bad. Right, yeah. Um, but it did feel like I was maximizing my chances of having powerful draws that curved out and mm-hmm. overwhelmed my Esper control opponent in the early game and, and that felt pretty good. Yeah, so. yeah, makes sense. Um, yeah. Um, Esper, you know, a lot of people kind of not particularly happy with Esper going into the event. A lot of people kind of down on it towards the end of the event. A lot of multiple people regretting playing Esper at the event. But from these matchup percentages, it looks pretty okay. It's sitting there at about 55% overall. I, I was I was pretty skeptical that Esper about Esper going into these, this tournament. Um, but... After the tournament played out, I do think that Esper actually was one of the better options. I think people really underestimated how good you can make your Simic Nexus matchup with yeah. Esper. And you can also make your Mono Red matchup favorable. Mm-hmm. And because those were two of the dominant decks. And you crushed anybody trying to play any mid-range deck. Mm-hmm. So I I do like Esper. I did like Esper a lot for this tournament. And I think that showed it up in both the win percentages that we're looking here at here and also in the just the top eight you know it was yeah. three mono red two esper and then you know two, two bent mid-range which we need to talk about true yeah and but that that was kind of like a its own storyline right. i don't think those those decks weren't placed there based on like metagame it was, percentage. It, it was metagame percentage and just like some of them making it those decks were placed there because rudy and harlan worked really really hard building that deck and preparing for this tournament and got the, like, both happened to get the results that were very strong. Mm. Um, so, good job on them for doing that. Yeah. I, uh, that that deck is very interesting. I don't think it's going to last much longer than week one, but... Well, let's, let's talk about that. And also, just to sum up Esper Control, I think a lot of people's unhappy feelings about the deck after testing and, and, and running with it and stuff mm-hmm. mostly come from the fact, like you said, the deck just has a fail rate. Yeah. Sometimes your mana doesn't work right. Sometimes you draw kind of the wrong half. But it has the tools. They come together more often than not. Yeah. And and kind of create these games where your opponent just didn't have a chance based on just the order that everybody's cards were in. Yeah. But sometimes 
you miss your fourth line drop and you just die. Right. So yeah, yeah, and that's <laughs> that's tough. I I think that you have to get luckier to spike a tournament with Esper than you do to spike a tournament with a deck like Mono Red. I think so too. Just kind of for that reason, yep. is it a lot, kind of less of the games are under your control? You have to string together like quite a few things. Yeah, and it feels weird to say that because typically these kind of control strategies are like the lower variance. You know, they, they are, they're like blue decks are typically like the lower variance, mm -hmm. like higher interactive element or whatever. And it's true that you, you do have to play it very well, but the fact that these blue decks don't really have access to uh, that many cantrips, like, are, like, well, and nobody's even playing, nobody's opt playing any opt. opt. So it's not doing very much. Mm -hmm. The the most it's doing is like thought erasuring and surveilling early to try That's to fair. be a little more consistent. Yeah. Um, and search for Ascanta on turn two, but. Yeah, but you only have two searches, you know, right. and yeah, you just, just you, you really don't have much velocity in this deck until you get to the late, late game where you get to like have a Deferian play and, you know, start casting your insights or whatever. But right. Well, and like Zach's list really, you know, he's only got two chemistry's insights in here. Right. So his, you know, he's using thought four thought erasures, two search for Escantas two chemistry's insights these are the ways he's getting to five lens and to fairy right that's not that far off of like the you know big red decks that really just end up being kind of medium because they have no way of controlling their draws and they're trying to hit five mana for their five mana spells right like this isn't that different from that and it's three colors like you're gonna hit some bad variants some of the time when you play this deck yeah, I don't know. For me personally, I just like to have additional consistency for whatever, mm -hmm. in whatever way. If I played an Esper Control deck, I, I I would try to find a way to put in Ops, honestly. But I don't know. I'm not really a Control Mage, so... I... <laughs> no, and I am sure it has something to do with how the lands play out and stuff like that. You probably take two damage a lot more in games when you have Ops in your deck. That makes a lot of sense. So, yeah, for sure. But yeah, so this this Bant mid-range deck... Yeah. This... Um, uh, it definitely, uh, so I played against Rudy in the quarterfinals. Yep. And he had a sweet play where, so, okay, some highlights from this deck. <laughs> Four Vivian Champion of the Wilds. Mm -hmm. That's the Vivian, the three mana Vivian that makes all of your creatures instant speed. I think this is the card that makes this deck function. It, this deck feels like a Vivian deck. Yeah. It, it really does. And then the other card that they're playing is uh, God Eternal Ket Oketra, mm -hmm. which is the five mana three six that whenever you cast another creature spell makes a four four. Yep. Pretty powerful if you can get that online and, you know, trigger it. Yeah. Three six once. double strike. It's, so it's really a six six. Yeah, a three six double strike. Right. right. I mean, yeah, this card is a beating in... It's a mid-range mirror breaker. Yeah, and essentially. a curve topper when you're playing against an aggro deck. Right. And, you know, the rest of the deck is just kind of like high rate powerful creatures it feels like mm -hmm. um you know you're playing you got two deputies you got uh you're trying to play a little bit of a flash game with the frilled mystics and that's helped out by the vivians right um, so it kind of disguises the frilled mystics right you don't yeah, you always anything. know when it's frilled mystic yeah. but if they have vivian out it could be right whatever yeah. like shalai they could flash into shalai and counter your removals yeah no and and honestly that's pretty scary yeah <laughs> 
so, you know, this deck was pretty interesting. And the other card that they had in the main was uh, that was interesting was uh, three of the three mana Teferis. Mm -hmm. um, that's probably just a consideration because they expected to see a lot of Nexus. Right. Um, and I don't think this deck can win a game one against Nexus without Teferi. Yeah, I mean, it's probably tough. Like, maybe you frilled Mystic a like a couple of key spells, or yeah. maybe you get to de Deputy there. Um Pressure plus Teferi, though, is a pretty good combo oh, against right. the Nexus deck. Yeah, I mean, if you have a Teferi in play, yeah. things get really tough for Nexus. Yeah. Uh, but I played against Rudy, and in our game two, he, so he had a Vivian out, and mm -hmm. and he was he was pretty far, he was ahead, clearly. But I had two Chain Rollers out, and he had a Incubation Druid and a bunch of lands, so it was kind of like representing a 3-5. Uh, but I had to, like try to make this attack where I attacked his Vivian with two Chain Whirlers, expecting him to block one and eat it with the Incubation Druid activation. Instead, because <laughs> he, he had, so he had one card in hand and one card exiled face down with Vivian. So I make my attack and he's like, okay, flash in Oketra. That's bad. <laughs> flash in another creature, trigger, make a 4-4. Four -four. <laughs> block your guys, <laughs> I kill you. <laughs> It was pretty sweet. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and that's the role that, you know, we were pretty down on God Eternal Catcher up during the set review. Yeah. That this is a role that that card can play. It turns your, like, dead mana creature draws later in the game right. into actual threats yeah. and or blockers right. or whatever. Yeah. So this is the one type of deck. It has to be a Llanowar Elves deck to play God Eternal Catcher. Oh yeah, no for sure, and it has to be Llanowar Elf and Incubation Druid deck. Like yeah. he, his mana was really important to him, and honestly, I think that that being the case made my matchup against him very good. Yes, um, Mono Red, I think, really crushes this deck. You get to make sure that they never have a mana dork online, mm -hmm. and then they're it's much harder they for them. Have so to... many fours and fives. So many fours and fives, and only twenty four lands. Yeah. Um. So you know they're not always going to be able to curve out on lands, and they're just um, never going to double spell against you if you kill their mana creatures. Right. Exactly. And you are double spelling, you know, until turn dead. three on. Yeah. Right. I I won game one pretty handily just by getting under him. Mm -hmm. He got me game two, uh, and then game three was. Our game lasted like four turns, and he just kind of scooped it up once, <laughs> you know. Because yeah. I, I just had had one of those. I mean, you have a bunch of one mana um, murders in your deck, right? Yeah, like you know, I like I killed his mana dork, I killed his other thing, I had two goblin guides hitting him the whole time. Yeah, <laughs> yep. Um, that'll do it. Yeah, felt like for sure. So uh, his draw was pretty bad that game, right? It it wasn't great. Yeah. Right. I, I wasn't able to see that one because I was playing in my top eight. Oh, well. yeah. There you go. For sure. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that package of four Growth Chamber Guardians for Incubation Druid, while we've like seen that before, that overall is a very vulnerable package to decks playing Shocks and Lightning Strikes. Yes. Yeah. So, so much that I, you know, like I've been working on Gruel decks and stuff. Every single Gruel deck that I see, including like the couple that finished reasonably in day two of this tournament, everybody's on four growth chamber guardians. And I just have never been happy with that card. Yeah. It's just so vulnerable to cheap removal spells. It, you're, you're putting yourself out there. And when you're playing around cheap removal spells by not activating it, it's just a grizzly bear. Yeah. Like it's the best two drop to draw on turn five, but like you have a lot more turn twos than you have, turn turn like important turn fives and turn sevens or whatever right yeah so and if you're under a lot of pressure a five minute four four does not cut it right 
And, and I don't know, for a deck, like, I, I get the cute, like, we've got guys with Adapt, and we can also flash in guys with Vivian, and we just can play this whole end-step game, or yeah. in-response game. Mm-hmm. But Growth Chamber Guardian... Its positioning right now just feels kind of unacceptable to me, and I think there are better cards to be playing in that spot. Even yeah. just like explore guys in a deck like this. Yeah, and I right, I definitely would want to lean a little more towards explore guys. And I think that your point kind of illustrates why I don't think that this shell is going to last into standard. Mm-hmm. I think that this. I mean. I do think that this was a, a pretty awesome deck for week one. Mm-hmm. You know, they definitely had plans for what they expected to face. Um, I'm sure that they were really well set up against um, Esper and Nexus. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, those four main but, deck Vivians and and the main deck Teferi is yeah in in control matchups phenomenal. Against, really good uh, against those control decks. Um, but you know, now that Mono Red has kind of proven itself to be on top right now, yeah. This is just not really a, a viable option. Yeah. I do like the lesson that we can take from it, which is that a creature deck based around Vivian giving your creatures flash, mm. thats it's a real thing. Yeah. Like, that is a functionality that I think will inspire many different decks going forward. Right. And probably a lot of them will be Bant, because Bant tends to have weird creatures that are great when you give them flash. <laughs> like, shall I? <laughs> yes. But... You know, it will probably be different from this going forward. Right. And and I also don't think that Wild Growth Walker is this, like, panacea against the red decks that people seem to think it is. Mm-hmm. You can't play it on turn two. It dies every single time. <laughs> yeah. You need to play blockers and in interaction and then play it on turn four with a Merfolk Branch Walker. Yep. yep. And that's, like... Like, yes, eventually you can break a game open with it. Or if you have two, then you play one on turn two, force them to have the burn spell, and then you can play another one. But it just, like, doesn't work out as often as people think it does. Right, for sure. You know, it's something to fall back on, and it does soak up three damage mm-hmm. a, a lot. You yeah. know, if you need it to, yeah. it's it's a lightning rod. But yeah, I mean, it, it can be tough. It but doesn't it doesn't turn a deck that is actively bad against Mono Red into a deck that's good against Mono yeah, Red. For sure, for sure. But it kind of it just in general... I do really like the explore creature package mm-hmm. if you're trying to play green creatures right now. Yeah. And we might be going into a spot in standard where um, some sort of explore green black X deck could be pretty well positioned if you can build it to beat red, beat the control decks. Um, I think it may be impossible to get it to beat Nexus. And right. I mean, you have to work on your Nexus matchup for sure. But I, I do think it is possible if you. Really lean into the matchup. So right now, Sultai mid Sultai mid range <laughs> versus Simic Nexus, oh. sitting at a hot nine point oh nine percent win rate. Yeah, this is a tiny sample size. Yeah, nobody really was playing Sultai mid range. Um, we only have eleven matches total, mm-hmm. but one out of eleven matches, right? Sultai managed to get. That's not good. <laughs> it's not great. No. Yeah. So like, this is a more polarized matchup than Red versus Nexus. Yeah. Like it, it's. Sultai, to me, feels more or less incapable of beating Nexus as it is. If we're getting to a point where we're, like, main decking thought erasures or something in Sultai, like, maybe we can buy some percentage points, but, like, it, I, the deck requires a full overhaul to make that matchup anywhere close to palatable. No, yeah, and I, I, I agree with you there. Um, <laughs> I even played against one of the Sultai players <laughs> in the last tournament, and... 
he very was he was very specifically telling me that he was trying to dodge Nexus all tournament. Yeah. And he, like, I think I had caught him right after a loss to Nexus, and he was like, yeah, I just can't ever beat that matchup. Yeah, and day two um, of this tournament, day one you could dodge it, mm-hmm. day two, if you were trying to top eight this tournament, you could not dodge Nexus. I, I did a pretty good job of dodging Nexus. Unfortunately, yeah. Not <laughs> right. not your goal, but... Yeah, yeah. There uh, was a lot of Nexus in day two, though. Yes. Is, is, is... No, a lot of... Yeah, for sure. But Nexus was kind of the obvious level one deck yeah it does a tournament does a powerful thing is yeah. assertive and beats random stuff yeah beats any kind of nonsense it beats a lot of people are trying to play cool planeswalkers it beats a lot of the planeswalkers that aren't specifically good against nexus yeah so yeah, for sure we should talk about some of these planeswalkers and stuff though i'm starting to get the feeling that like most of these static ability planeswalkers are gonna find a home somewhere and construct it at some point absolutely um, a lot of these, I mean, Narset is kind of the nobody, card. Nobody would shut up about Narset this yeah. weekend. Narset is the card that it really was the probably leading into the tournament, the most underrated card by a long shot. Yeah. And that Narset performed very well. It's just always good. Yeah, it's crazy. You're... And it's not even in, just in standard, too. Yeah. Like, the, it's got the Leovold ability, which is great in older formats. <laughs> right. Uh <laughs> I can never beat this card with a Phoenix deck. It'll come down and your cards just lose all their text. Yeah. That's crazy. No, it's... Yeah. I I expect to see a lot of Narsets moving forward in Eternal formats. Yep. You know, people, people I think, are catching on where they're like, all right, well, we got to start figuring out these shells and what they look like because I'm just I'm going to play a lot of Narsets in, yeah. <laughs> in a blue control deck right Absolutely. now. Absolutely. But... Uh, it's at a great mana cost, too. A lot of your power plays are at four mana. Mm-hmm. She comes down at three... If you manage to minus two her twice, she's just a dig through time. Crazy. It's really good. Yeah. No, I mean, yeah, the amount of value, like, so you can consider it in like this in a lot of, in a lot of scenarios where you're playing like a pretty on rate draw spell, mm-hmm. like worst case scenario yeah. if it resolves is you're paying three mana to look at the top, to have a, a sorceress kind of activation. Mm-hmm. That's like reasonable. You know, if you get to do it twice, that's more than reasonable it, it's hard to yeah i i didn't realize just how good you that makes you at finding the thing you need right against what's going on it's yeah. just so many cards yeah it's just really good i don't you know <laughs> I, I, I was playing some of the ben reagan zach elsick uh planeswalker oh, yeah 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 blue white planeswalker prison deck right um which pretty much is based entirely around the idea that like the more planeswalkers you have in play, the better planeswalkers are. <laughs> yes. Because <laughs> it's really hard for your opponent to, like, attack appropriately and stuff. They just have so much to deal with that it becomes really difficult. And it, it, it takes it to such an extent that the deck is running, like, four, three or four Dovin Hand of Controls. Yeah. Because, like, imprison, bubbling a creature is actually really good when you have three planeswalkers in play. <laughs> right. But, yeah, like, in that deck, playing against Mono Red... I didn't board out any of my Narsets. Mm-hmm. I kept four in the deck. Yeah. Because, you know, you have cards that are specifically really great against Mono Red. She comes down, finds one of them, eats up some damage, and then you play your card that's really good against Mono Red. Right. And, like, you're doing it. Yeah. Or they ignore it and you get to do it again. Which and is then... probably not correct for them to do. Uh, right. And in the meantime, uh, the Narset is, gets to turn off their risk factors, <laughs> which is... Uh, I had one opponent cast a risk factor... 
Oh, yeah? I declined to take four damage. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And then their head exploded. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Yeah. <laughs> right. No, that definitely feels good. Yeah, it was surprisingly annoying for me because I was like, oh, Narset, uh, I don't have, I don't draw cards. And <laughs> then immediately draw a risk factor. Yeah, and then I even drew a risk factor. I was like, oh, oh no. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, I mean, putting a couple of damage on the Narset turns out to be pretty important because... The risk factors is, are your best card against the control decks a lot of the time. Mm-hmm. So, you know, having it completely turned off is no bueno. No, it's not great. I mean, at least you can, you know, if you decide to go on the plan of, like, let them get their cards off of the Narset, at least, like, a Chain Whirler can finish it off. Right. But, yeah. And I did do that a lot, where I let them have their second activation just because I didn't... Because I, you know, this was one of my only opportunities to really push some damage or whatever. Yep. But, yeah, the number of times where I had to, you know, throw a point at it, when I didn't want to. Mm-hmm. Uh, sometimes I killed it over uh, Teferi Hero Dominaria. There's like, they're both on one, and I like <laughs> had to send my fanatical firebrand at the Narset, and that did not Jeez, feel good. That is, yeah, yeah not yeah. ideal. But yeah, uh, I, actually, that Planeswalker deck has been surprisingly good in the mono red matchup. Mm-hmm. I don't know, and, and I'm sure you know. I I know you played. You, you I did play against Ben. ben. Yeah. Uh, well, that's yeah, and that's kind of another funny story is that before we got paired in the tournament, and mm-hmm. we got paired like pretty early, um, so we might have been playing just before the tournament started. Ben was like, you know, hey, do you just want to jam some games? And I was like, yeah. So I played mono red versus his deck, and he just destroyed me over and over again. Mm-hmm. And, and you know, he had the land that allowed him to gain a life gain every life. time he plays a planeswalker. And the way that that land works, <laughs> if you have multiple in your hand, even though it's a colorless land, you can just play them out, and then they'll let you cast your planeswalker. Yeah, and you're like cast, gaining two life each time you cast a planeswalker. It was crazy, yeah, for sure. Uh, and he was able to. Uh, the wraths are really important in that matchup as well from his side, where yeah. you know I need to be able to have recursive damage because I do need to interact with his planeswalkers and attack around the um, Teo light shields. Right. Yeah. 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 But you know he would just have a wrath and then. And then I couldn't pressure his planeswalkers anymore. I'd have to like throw actual burn into them, and that's not what I wanted to do. No, so. That's a great result for casting a planeswalker right. against mono red. So yeah, I definitely think that his deck has game there. We did end up playing on camera <laughs> later that tournament, <laughs> and kind of thanks only to the fact that I jammed a bunch of games against him yeah. beforehand, I was able to win because I just a lot of the equity that I'm sure that he was going for in that tournament was. He was playing all these new planeswalkers that nobody knew what they did. Right. And uh, and in our testing games, I made so many blunders because I was like, oh, wait, that does what now? Oh, wait, that means I can't draw cards? You know, Kazmina makes right. it cost two more to target his yes, stuff. Yes, exactly. Right. It's all of those things. And I was able to, like, learn all of those in those testing yeah. games. And then we played in the tournament, and I knew everything, and I was able to beat him pretty efficiently. Yeah, and I'm sure everybody on Twitch was like, wow, this guy's so smooth against all the new planeswalkers. <laughs> oh, yeah, you know we... we... <laughs> Oh, yeah. wait, Twitch never compliments anybody. Uh, right, okay. Well, <laughs> um, maybe too big of an ass for that, but yeah. Although I know Ben learned some from your jamming. Like, he learned how valuable Wraths were in the matchup because you have to overextend to pressure yes. the Planeswalkers, which he didn't right. realize at first. Yeah. And I also taught him that uh, he could Teferi minus on his Mox Amber for an extra mana mm-hmm. if, if he was going to target Because he, he did it against me and he didn't target anything. I was like, ooh, do you want to like get another mana this yeah. turn? Yeah. <laughs> I was that was fun. I, I was chatting with Lee about the deck, and I was like, "Man, I wish I could reuse my Narsets with my Teferi activation." And then I thought about it for like two more seconds. I was like, "I'm really glad you can't reuse Narsets with Teferi activations. <laughs> that would be gross." Yeah, and no, I don't want Standard to be about that forever. Yeah. 
Um, Except if Teferi gets to bounce your opponent's planeswalkers. <laughs> yeah, I mean that would also just be really powerful. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> bouncing bouncing a lot of things is really strong. So. Yeah. Not in the mono-red matchup, though. That card is pretty bad in the mono-red matchup. Yeah. Well, okay, so it actually kind of got interesting where against my, like, more burn-heavy plan mm-hmm. against Esper Control, I think it might be right to leave in or even bring in the Teferis because okay. me not being able to play at instant speed means that they're against always going to be able to absorb. specifically. Right, right. Because yeah, yeah. you are playing around absorb. Right, right. I think in matchups like... Like the Bant Flash deck, though. Like, oh, you're not yeah, getting no. any equity like that no. off of Teferi. Yeah. The, the, a lot of matchups where I'm kind of pretty happy to play Sorcery Speed anyways. Yeah. Like, against the Bant Flash deck and just, like, the other, like, random Teferi decks or right. whatever. The, Teferi's not good against Mono Red. Yeah. Uh, yeah. In the matchups where you're just, like, throwing burn spells to get counters on your Steamkin or whatever right. like that. But, yeah, playing on Esper's end step specifically because of the card Absorb is really important. So, I... Right. Oh, one, one last thing about that matchup where did you where do you end up on like how many chain whirlers do you want against esper because i think this is an important thing where there was some disagreement about it and i think chain whirler is not great yeah but i was only boarding in five cards mm-hmm. so i just cut four shocks in one chain whirler. yeah because i know zan was pretty high on them as important in the matchup because mm-hmm. people cut a lot of their kaya's wraths and, and lean on like moment of craving and cry of the carnaria right and those two cards are pretty important for sure mm-hmm. and uh I liked, I really did like having three in my deck because of that, where every once in a while I would have a Chain Whirler and it would be great because, you know, I would get cried and then I'd have three more damage the next turn and that's That'll usually win you the game then. It's huge, for sure. Um, I'm still going to trim on one just because I'm bringing in all three mana spells anyways in that matchup. I'm bringing in like two Tybalt's, the extra risk factor the two legion war bosses you just really need to make sure that your deck is as lean as possible yep so i think it is the card that you need to trim on shocks are just not good in the matchup so you cut them all but yeah and and the the not bringing in frenzies i think is just really i i brought in frenzies when i played against esper and then i just my hand was so clunky Mm -hmm. and and i just it was so hard for me to adequately just like play around absorb with instance and yeah my my cards were just expensive yeah yeah i I totally get what you were what you were doing there and i right i want to try that going forward for sure and i kind of only you know i i pulled the trigger on it like a couple times kind of randomly in the tournament Mm -hmm. but after the tournament i think it's what i'm just gonna suggest for people so cool yeah uh any other standard stuff what are are you just gonna play mono red at the mcq this weekend probably or are we thinking that the meta is going to shift a little bit? I think the meta is going to shift. Yeah. Red was very dominant. And it's it's still going to be a good choice moving forward. Mm-hmm. I definitely wouldn't fault anybody for playing red um, at like the MCQ or whatever. Yeah. But I do think that the Esper players now are going to be all much more prepared for red. Mm-hmm. So I think that your matchup is going to get less favored there. Additionally, I I kind of do want to tinker around with some mid-range shells mm-hmm. uh, as long as I can get them to beat Nexus. Um, I think that the representation of Nexus is going to go significantly down. So I'm not as worried about that. Yeah. And also, I think that you just like, you know, if you try hard enough, you can you can build a mid-range deck that can, that can compete with Nexus. I agree. I think going to an MCQ this weekend with a 40-something percent Nexus matchup is right. fine. Yeah. Yeah, I, I agree as well. Um, so I, and I, 
So I'm a little more concerned about Red's positioning. Uh, also, the Red Mirror is... Miserable. Miserable. You just have to draw your four drop first and play it. That's lame. And <laughs> hit the fourth land. Right. Yeah. And in your 19 land deck. Yeah. If you are planning on playing Red this weekend, I think that, honestly, the best card for the Mirror is Treasure Map. Okay. You dig towards your bomb fours. Yep. And in you the games way where... way more mana. Yeah, in the games where you're not... In the games where neither player has a experimental frenzy, you get to you just like have that extra advantage, card mm -hmm. advantage through like being able to sack your treasures and stuff. Yeah. And when you are going off with frenzy, treasure maps, uh, pretty good to like scry and right. every once in a while. Right, so, right, for sure. Like I, I might try to build a red deck that's good in the mirror, but it's it's kind of tough to do that. Yeah, it's a lot easier to play some. Creature, early creatures with three toughness mm -hmm. and beat red that way. Right. As long as you have a plan for the post-board frenzy games. For, so, for example, testing red online, I started playing against a couple of Gruul decks and somebody brought in Cinder Vines against me. Yep. And I thought, huh, like, that doesn't seem very good. And then I just immediately, like, lost the game to the Cinder Vines. <laughs> yeah. And then I started trying it, and it is actually... I mean, obviously, like, I think the, the primary reason you bring it in is because it, it kills Experimental Frenzy. Yeah. But a lot of times in these games, like, you play a two-drop, you play a 4-4 four, four Gruul Spellbreaker, you put a Cindervines into play, and then you're like, wait, I can just start attacking. <laughs> yeah. And then you just attack your opponent, and then they can't cast spells anymore without dying. I just kind of like playing this Gruul deck anyways. Probably going to play it at the MCQ. Um you get to about a 40-something-ish percent Nexus matchup with four Cinder Vines in your sideboard, so yeah. I'm going to stay there. No, honestly, um, you know, in, in in terms of, like, how the metagame is shifting, I, I definitely don't mind the um, the Gruul deck, mm -hmm. uh, as long as you can figure out your Esper matchup as well. Yeah, and um, I, I want to specifically test that yeah. a little bit. That one seems like the deck that's going to be very popular and seems to be the hardest to tune your deck to beat, in my yeah. mind. Especially if your opponent understands how you beat them and brings in the their Dovin's Vetoes or Negates mm -hmm. or keeps them in. I don't know how they have their deck built. <laughs> I don't know what's um, in that deck yet. But you beat them with your Planeswalkers. Yeah. And if they negate your Planeswalkers, you start not feeling great about stuff. Yeah. My, my, my plan has been to diversify my threats, keep in cheap creatures, Planeswalkers, and bring in Experimental Frenzies. Yeah. And hopefully something sticks that, able, that pressures them and gives me some card advantage. And it's okay, and I've definitely won against Esper a reasonable, like, a, a pretty decent amount more than I've lost, mm -hmm. but I have not sat down and just jammed with somebody who I know has a good list and is good at playing it and understands, you know, I, I haven't done that, like, focused Esper testing that, that I need to do to actually be confident in the matchup. Yeah. And unfortunately, the deck is so Planeswalker heavy that I can't have it be a... Vivian Champion of the Wilds plan, and I'm wondering if maybe I should be very creature focused with the deck, and also, and just have Vivian as like my main planeswalker. But I've liked Chandra so much that that's a hard direction to just go because you have to go pretty hard that direction. Yeah, yeah. Uh, on it, Chandra's so good. Chandra's <laughs> really good. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, it's it's tough to beat Chandra yeah. for sure. We'll see what we come up with. But you certainly beat up on Mono Red, which is nice. Yeah, well, and honestly, I think I'm going to play Thorn Lieutenants this weekend. Great. As much as I don't want to because it does not hit your opponent very hard for a very long time. <laughs> yeah. It's so good on turn two against Mono Red. It, it is really good. Yeah. So, I mean, against Control, like, as long as you're playing around Wraths appropriately and you, like, kind of force them to use some targeted removal and stuff, it gives a little bit of... Car it's not great. 
and it's very bad against Nexus. Yeah. But I think you buy so much in the one drops matchups that right. that I probably will be playing them this weekend. But Nexus is washed, so you know we can. <laughs> yeah, I'm gonna play against it twice in the end. Well, yeah, 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 I promise. No, I I also expect to play against it about that many times. Um, I think that's you know people are still gonna play it. Uh, there, the Nexus players are going to be a little better prepared, I think, mm-hmm. for a hateful metagame. I think they're going to be more prepared for red. Yeah. Um, they'll probably be, be pretty prepared against Esper as well. Mm-hmm. So uh, that's kind of the cool thing that happens after week one is that, you know, if people really like their decks, they'll figure out a way to make it reasonable in whatever metagame exists. So I know that Lee is not going to be playing Nexus this mm-hmm. weekend. He's, he's kind of off of it after a pretty rough day two experience. Okay. So... I'm just sort of like taking that as like, all right, if you like, if Lee's not playing it, I bet other people also are off of it and we can sort of take advantage of that. Yeah, for sure. I do want to mention one thing about the Nexus deck, which is sort of the plan that Lee came up with against Esper. Um, we were jamming games. We pretty early on in the like existence of the cards on arena yeah and we were playing an early version of the nexus deck which we pretty much just jammed tamio in to see if she was good and she was and we did sort of a normal sideboard plan against esper we brought in some counter spells and stuff and then we're sitting there with counter spells in hand like i don't think these counter spells are very good (laughs) yeah and at one point our opponent was kind of low on resources and cast a chemistry's insight on our end step and lee was like i want to negate this yeah and i was like pretty adamant about not wanting to do that but then the discussion pretty much turned to like their deck has dovin's vetoes in it their deck has little teferis in it like these negates are just gonna not be good really soon yeah um and so our mistake was not like the mistake of whether or not to to negate the chemistry's inside one of those things was right at that point one was wrong the real mistake was having those negates in our deck yeah. In the first place. Right. Yeah. Um, Which is kind of a crazy place to be yeah. against control. But you can't go to six mana, play right. a Wilderness Reclamation with Negate Backup. Oh, I totally... It doesn't, it doesn't work. I totally believe you. Because you're just going to get vetoed. Yeah. Yeah. So... <laughs> a veto adds to such an interesting element to yeah. just counter wars. And so. the, the main thing they're trying to do is land a Teferi, which just turns off your counter magic. Right. So don't put dead cards in your deck is the, the end <laughs> of this discussion. Yeah, right. Yeah. And I, I think bringing in count, I, I like I, Lee's plan was to bring have no counter spells in his deck post board against Esper, and I, I think he's right on this. So, I can see it for sure. At least think about that if you're running Nexus. Yeah. So yeah, a lot about standard, super interesting stuff. Yeah. Excited to keep working on it. Mm-hmm. I'm glad that Nexus wasn't as oppressive. As all the, to all be, the cool yeah. decks that I wanted to build, I was right. just like, I can't beat Nexus with this. <laughs> so hopefully that's not going to yeah. be as strong. I mean, it, a... it was everywhere, so probably still couldn't play that deck. But, but, but you know, now we'll see. Yeah, I mean, and and probably, like, it'll it'll always, it'll be around, mm-hmm. absolutely. Yeah. And maybe it will still be pushing cool stuff out, but I don't think you need to play a deck that is favored against Nexus like I thought that you did this tournament. Yeah. Which worked out great. Yeah, everybody we know played mono red. Everybody but me crushed with mono red. <laughs> but not crushing with mono red. Yeah, as bad as I felt. Yeah, yeah. Gave me an opportunity to pick up uh, Phoenixes for the classic. Yes. For the modern classic, I picked up basically Oliver 2's Mythic Championship list, yeah. which 
has as its additional threats two more Pyromancer Ascensions. The full four. This is the full four Pyromancer Ascensions. The deck is ten four ofs, three Noxious Revivals, 17 lands. Nice. It's just 20 cantrips, including the Faithless Lootings, the eight creatures, Pyromancer Ascensions, Manamorphoses, Lightning Bolts. Love it. It's in the most consistent deck I've ever played. <laughs> um, doing the same thing every time. Doing the same thing every time, and it's a thing that I love doing. Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. Combat, Phoenix Triggers. Yeah. Put them in play. It's getcha. Getcha. Or flip my thing in the ice. Trigger Ascension. Trigger Ascension. I'm just going to bolt you three times now. Right, yeah. Um, trigger Ascension, Trigger Ascension. Um, win the game. Win the game. Is probably what comes after that. It was really happy. I, I, once I triggered an ascension for the first time and went to Manamorphos, I was really happy that I reached into my dice bag and realized that I had the dice from our friend Josh's wedding, and one is red oh, and one is blue. Perfect. I had red and blue mana. Nice. Although I need a green one because it, when you go infinite with Noxious Revival and Manamorphos... You might as well have you, a couple green You float some green mana. Yeah. Because you have to... You know, you have to pay for the Noxious Revival each cycle, and right. you want to make it clear. So. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, definitely was not playing the deck optimally. Mm. Definitely most of my matches felt really easy with the deck. Yeah. I, you know, I, I have a fair amount of experience with the deck. Phoenix, I don't really know what it is. I haven't, most of my, like, time spent jamming online in the past couple of months has been playing standard for various reasons. I don't get a lot of chances to practice with Phoenix, but in paper, my win rate is probably over 75% with the deck. Yeah, I mean, you every time you play that deck, you've been crushing with it. Yeah. Um, if I don't top 8, I usually end up X2 at the end of the day. Right. Like, yeah. the deck is just still incredibly good. Mm-hmm. Um, this iteration, I think, is also pretty great. I did not get Rest in Peace. <laughs> that helped. This deck is the worst possible against Rest in Peace. Yeah. Uh, it's also the build... This is definitely the build of Phoenix that is the worst against humans... Yet, you know, we keep yes. getting a little worse against humans, right. and now I actively like don't want to play against humans. I think with this list, yeah, uh, you have four lightning bolts, and if they get if they ever go like Thalia meddling mage on bolt, you're just hard locked out of the game. <laughs> game one, <laughs> nice, yeah, no lightning axes for you, yeah. Uh, so you know that's not great, right? But it was just very consistent uh pretty easy to turn on your pyromancer ascensions i didn't always know what to do with my pyromancer ascensions but it didn't really matter like whatever you end up doing was powerful i had one game where i had sided out one noxious revival so i should have been able to go infinite but i had used both of my noxious revivals so i couldn't um lee later told me that it was stupid to sideboard out my revival in that matchup which i listened to his reasoning and i now agree with my entire turn of, like, going infinite and being able to do what, like, I, I was able to stack my deck with Serum Visions, <laughs> but the only relevant cards in my deck were, I had gotten my Lightning Bolt Surgicaled, right. so the only relevant cards in my deck were Arclight Phoenixes and one Blood Moon, so I had to <laughs> arrange my turn so that I get Phoenixes into play, I knew he had a Cryptic, he taps down my Phoenixes, then I resolve my Blood Moon, and then my, like, my entire, like, going infinite with Pyromancer Ascension was resolving this Blood Moon <laughs> to win the game. Hilarious. Um, so, 
definitely some non-optimal decisions on my part that led to that. That'll happen. I- including the fact that I should have used the Blood Moon to force him to cryptic it <laughs> and then get the Phoenixes in play and kill him with the Phoenixes. Right, yeah. That's the, and so I even did that part backwards. If one of your options wins the game and the other one <laughs> yeah. just locks your opponent out. <laughs> and, and it's more that he had seven lands. The only card in his hand was cryptic. Right. So he was going to either counter draw or tap draw. Right. And then uh, three mana left. There's nothing at three mana that solves four phoenixes. There is stuff at three mana that solves a blood moon. Right. So my opponent was pretty dead anyways, because I had about like six turns of attacking for 12 before I decked myself. <laughs> so we'd get there That's pretty good. at some point. Yeah. But definitely could have played that one a little tighter. Yeah. The deck feels real with four ascensions. Yeah. I, I think just the consistency is there and very helpful. As long as, you know, the more grindy decks you play, the better it is. The more people are playing Surgicals over Rest in Peace or Leyline, the better it is. The more people are playing Phoenix, you know, you're not running Surgicals, but you are running the best threat in the matchup, which is Pyromancer Ascension. Out of the, you're just always going to have one very early. Yeah. And that's good. The sideboard needs more work than I put into it to transition from a Mythic Championship sideboard to a regular tournament sideboard. Okay. You know, like the original sideboard had four Alpine Moons in it. Sure. Because there was going to be a lot of Tron at the Mythic Championship and they they were right. Yeah. I swapped two of them out for Blood Moons, which I think was a good change. Um, Just for a, a wider field? Yeah. I just felt like in a classic, I was much more likely to play against uh, Amulet and I was also, it was also very possible that I would play against some three-color brews, which I did, yeah. and brought in my Blood Moons. <laughs> yeah, Blood Moons are nice against three-color brews. <laughs> yeah. For sure. Um, but yeah, so I mean, the, the Blood Moons were great. I played against Amulet, Valakut, and Amulet again, mm-hmm. and so I was happy to have Blood Moons. Yeah. But yeah, like seven cards in my sideboard just didn't come in all turn that long. Part of that was because I didn't play against Phoenix or Control, Um and I had cards specifically for those. But I think that the, the sideboard could be a little tighter. I don't think you need Beacon Bolt in a wide field like this. I think it's not your plan in the Phoenix matchup, which makes it less of an actual sideboard slot. Yeah, um, that's fair. All right, I got to ask, mm-hmm. did you run across any Neoform decks? Yes. So I, I have this bullet point here, which is no Neoform to be seen. Boo! As you'll recall, the London Mulligan rule is not in effect in Paper Magic. <laughs> oh, right. Yeah. So, and that, that's pretty necessary for this Neoform. I, yeah. I, I think you were saying that it probably can't exist without the London Mulligan rule. Right. First modern tournament that has a London Mulligan rule, though. Get ready! We'll see. I don't know. Hold on. I, I'm curious... Oh. Well, okay, so SCG is completely out of stock on Allosaurus Riders. The last ones they had were 12 bucks. All right. They're like $20 card now. Yeah, I think that's probably true. Um, although, no, I think it spiked to 20 and I think it's slowly <laughs> going back down. Yeah. You can probably get them for like 12s. Looks like, yeah, yeah. Looks like you can get them for, for, for 10 or 12 bucks. It's probably a bad investment. Yeah, no, I... I firmly believe that that deck is n- not close to consistent enough for competitive play. Yeah. Although it is sweet. New hotness that may be, however. Okay. Karn the Great Creator. Yeah! We had two four of Karn the Great Creator decks in this classic top eight. Um, phenomenal. Yeah. yeah. And they're completely different decks. 
I I will say this classic felt a little and this is not uncommon for classics, mm-hmm. but this classic felt a little casual and a little soft okay. to me overall. Yeah. Sure. Um I had you know, multiple opponents who had to read my Pyromancer Ascensions and that sort of thing, um, which is totally fine. Read cards if you're not sure what they do. Yeah. But, I, you know, I, I felt a lot of times that I was pretty advantaged on an experience level against a lot of my opponents. Sure. Um, so definitely take the these classic results with appropriate salt. But I they do show that Tron with Karn the Great Creator... And apparently Mono Red Prison with Karn the Great Creator. I can see it. Can win matches. Yeah, for sure. This past week, I built a Mono Green Tron build Mm -hmm. with Karn the Great Creator. Yeah. And my list was pretty close to the list that made fourth place at this tournament. Mm -hmm. The one card that I saw in this person's sideboard that I didn't think about was Trinisphere. (laughs) And honestly, I think that's a pretty big one. Yep. Where... Seven mana, you get to Great Creator Trinisphere. Yeah. That wins in a lot of matchups. I was terrified of Karn coming down. Yeah. Uh, and just, you know, even if I kept my opponent off of Tron mm-hmm. and they just played Karn on four, tutored for Trinisphere, Karn dies to attacks, and then they play Trinisphere. You're in a bad spot. I'm kind of in a bad spot unless I have a pretty reasonable amount of power in play already that they yeah. can't sweep. Right. So, fortunately, if they sweep with... O-Stone, they kill their own Trinisphere. So, yeah, you know. That's fair, for sure. Probably some some kinks that need to be worked out here. Um, But yeah, I was doing everything I could to make sure that my opponent couldn't, like, safely cast a Karn. Mm -hmm. Fortunately, my sideboard was just four moons. (laughs) So that was really helpful. (laughs) Nice. Game two, I just go, Steam Vent, take two, Alpine Moon, Urza's Mine, go. (laughs) Uh, And my opponent... (laughs) eyes just like I, I played against uh adit and he was super okay. nice guy like like super nice guy super excited to be in the top eight i know yeah. he's not so, so this was like a cool experience for him and i was glad that he he got to play in this top eight but my opponent his eyes got kind of big when i played this turn one alpine moon uh and <laughs> excellent eventually he gets to a blast zone to kill it and that's the turn where i have six power and play and i just played a blood moon right. so you know, my sideboard was maybe a little over for Tron, <laughs> but it helped when I finally played against it. Yeah, that's that's fair for sure. Yeah, uh, now that you mentioned it, Blast Zone mm-hmm. seems like a, another phenomenal addition to this deck. Absolutely. That I definitely looked over when I was building my version. Blast Zone and Tron, you're just going to have enough mana to put it on whatever you need to. Yep. And then it's just like another effect that can be yep. very effective. Solves uh, like everything that's not Blood Moon. I don't know how humans ever beat a Blast Zone. Yeah, blast zone for two, blast zone for blast two. Zone for, yep. game over. Yeah, it's just like none of none of humans' cards interact with that. Yeah, no, they don't. <laughs> yeah, and that that's why mono. We didn't see any mono blue mm-hmm. in, in standard, right? Because these reclamation decks are just playing two or maybe even three blast zones. Yeah, and while they don't necessarily make the game make the matchup favorable, like mono blue used to be incapable of losing to Nexus, right? Now, if Nexus draws its Blast Zone, it wins the game. Yeah, it's crazy. So, you can't play Mono Blue. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah, Mono Blue definitely seems like a, you know, too many of the top decks are pretty well set up against it. I think the format has passed it by. Yeah. Yeah. 
Which is crazy because it was it was the best deck at Definitely. Pro Tour. One one the first Mythic Championship. And or, yeah, excuse me, yeah, Mythic, yeah, yeah, Mythic yeah. Championship. <laughs> but absolutely was the best deck. We saw a lot of it, multiple copies in top eight, and won the won the tournament. So. Right, right. And now would not recommend to anyone that they put any time into the deck. Honestly, yeah, no, for sure. Um, but anyways, I will say that I love that Mycosynth Lattice is just like now a modern card. It's just a card. Yeah, it's just a card. You gotta modern. have some. I heard a fun story over the weekend where a Tron player played their Mycosynth Lattice with their Karn out, and but their opponent had a uh, Stony Silence in play. <laughs> so the the opponent with the Stony Silence was just like, how many cards are in your deck? And they counted, and the Tron player had less, and just scooped them up. <laughs> Whoops. <laughs> Oopsies. Oops. Yeah, turns out uh, your opponent has Stony out. You're just, it's just, nobody does anything anymore. Nobody gets to play Magic. You get to draw some cards. Yeah, if we had some old Eldrazi in our deck, we could still right. win. Yeah. But none of those are as good as the new Eldrazi, so. Yeah. I also saw a screenshot from Jarvis Yu, and he was playing this uh, Legacy Cloud Post deck. Okay. Um, brew with Karn and with New Ugin. And I, actually, I think that deck is very good. I can see it. Just side note, we're not going to talk about it today. Yeah. But there were Karns on both sides and a Mycosynth Lattice in play. Uh-huh. Okay. Uh, and there was like a creature on each side. There was like a 3-4, the 3-5 Kildoth of Forge Master on one yeah. side and there was like a 3-3 on the other side. So nobody could do anything. Right. Nobody could blink. Because uh, if you attack their Karn, they attack your Karn back, and you don't really know what the game is going to be like there. Somebody has to make that decision, or they. But so eventually, Jarvis wins the game because he's got an Ugin in play, <laughs> so he can cast colorless spells oh. that cost two mana. Oh, the only free. thing he can cast though are his walking ballistas, <laughs> which are just vanilla one ones. It's just going to be one ones. But it ends up being enough because eventually he casts like three walking ballistas and then is able to attack his opponent's Karn and unlock his spells. Amazing. So hilarious. But it was a great screenshot. Yeah. And a, a, a cool story. Marcus and Vlad is definitely leading to a lot of very strange board states. <laughs> yes. Yeah. The ultimate lock piece. <laughs> yeah. Well, and so the other deck that's running Karn and Marcus and Vladis in the sideboard in the top eight is this Mono Red Prison deck. Yeah. yeah which yeah. I think is a pretty natural home for Karn here. Jacob DeQuack's sideboard is 14 artifacts and one slag storm. <laughs> Love it. Sorcerer's Spyglass is a phenomenal card to find with Karn. Yeah. Turns your Karn into just uh, minus kill your permanent sometimes. It's crazy. Not kill, but... But yeah, yeah. Lock out, if your, it's lock out your thing with an activated ability. Right. Yeah. Also, the liquid metal coatings in the main and in the sideboard. With uh, Karn, that is tap, destroy target, land. Okay. So, nice. you know, if they're they're getting, they got like one basic in play, okay, like maybe I can cast one spell a turn through this Blood Moon. And you're like, nah, I'm just gonna Liquid Metal Coating plus one my Karn. And because Liquid Metal Coating's effect is just permanent. No, or, Liquid Metal Coating does it until end of turn. Oh, until end of turn. Okay, so it makes it, it an artifact, but then you yeah. Karn and plus one on it and it becomes a zero zero creature. Oh, yeah. interesting. So you just okay. get to strip mine on... That's hilarious. I guess it's it's more stone raining them. But yeah, so you get right. to kill their basics with that. 
So yeah. then they just still can't cast spells through your Blood Moon. Genius. Yeah, I think this deck is very cool. All right, okay. So so people are starting to figure out fun new stuff to do. It's probably not correct to have your entire sideboard be a toolbox for Karn. Ah, I kind of like it, but um, no, I, I, I feel that for but, sure. But, I mean, a lot of these cards are cards that can come in in the matchups where they are good. Yeah. Um... As long, uh, that's always the you know. Then you're part. cutting off your ability to Karn yeah. for them. That's the, always the difficult part. Is that you're like, mm, is this one of better in my sideboard to find with my four Karns, or is should I put it in the main? It's yeah. probably better to find with your four Karns a lot of the time in the deck with no other card filtering or card drawing. Yeah. Well, I I remember back in the day I played um, uh, back in Dig Through Time mm-hmm. uh, era in Legacy. I played uh, Omniscience with a wish board mm-hmm. uh and the only cards i ever boarded in were my four ley line of sanctities every <laughs> once in a while. <laughs> so uh it can definitely happen yep yep yeah i mean i'm unlikely to play mono red prison at any point yeah when arclight phoenix is still legal not because arclight phoenix is particularly good against this deck i don't want to play against this deck with arclight phoenix but i want to play against every other deck in the format with Arclight Phoenix. Yes. So No, that's fair. But yeah, this like Chalice and Snaring Bridge deck is not Anchor of the Gods. This, this is not the deck that I want to play against. <laughs> yeah. I was very happy when, when Tron beat this deck. <laughs> I know how to I know how to beat Tron. Yeah. That's a plan that we, we have. We, right, we have the plans at least. This deck is gonna be mm, It's a problem. Right. Yeah. Don't stone me don't stone rate me, bro. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah, so cool. We got a couple of second places. Yours. We did it. You know, very happy with the weekend. It would have been really nice if we both could have just won our finals at the same time. Uh, yeah. Get, you know, we both split, so it didn't, like, necessarily matter <laughs> that much. But getting that trophy is just... No, like, there's, yeah, big difference. I wanted that trophy. And I could tell Will wanted it, too, so... There was a time in my Magic career when hitting top eight was like, okay, great, we hit top eight. Like, we accomplished the tournament. Right. I hit top eight of this, and I just wanted to win it yeah. so badly. Yeah, yeah. And that mentality shift is, I think, very real for a lot of players. Mm-hmm. I had the same thing, yeah. and I feel pretty much the same way now, is that when making top eight is a phenomenal milestone, for mm-hmm. sure. But, you know, this was my eighth open top eight, and I just wanted another trophy. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah. Yeah. I... I I want to put some stuff on my shelf, man. I want to get these first places. Like, gotta get them. Gotta I just, win the tournament. Yeah, it's just hard, man. I I know that I got a lot of work to do. Mm-hmm. You know, I was not happy with a lot of my plays this weekend, both in standard mm-hmm. and in modern. There's a lot of improvement to be made, uh, but I am definitely at a point where, like, I I'm at a tournament to get first place. Like, that is what I want to do, and I know that. It is not likely and it is difficult, but that's the goal that I have. Yeah. So here's so here's to the next one. So yeah. Let's get those trophies. So for our Patreon question of the week, Stoneheart asks, please walk us through your preparation for the social aspect of a tournament. Do you scout out good restaurants, reach out to other tournament participants who live in the area? How does a veteran tournament goer ensure that they have a good time outside of the tournament hall? I know you're kind of like big on the, like, well, having fun in the... Yeah, honestly... The best part of these tournaments is just seeing the people there. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that's a huge element for me. And and you, the the good news is that you just get that at the tournament. Yeah. That, you know, like between rounds, you can just go and sit and talk to these really awesome, cool people all the time. Um, and that's great. Who happen sure. to 
like have a lot of stuff they can teach you about magic, which is kind oh, of Oh, nice. yeah. No, for sure. And like having that thing to bond over at the events is definitely very cool. But mm-hmm. it, it a lot of the time does feel like hanging out with friends and bonding over like a common theme. Mm-hmm. Um, that's like the primary thing for me a lot yeah. of the time. It's so, a lot easier for me to chat with people about magic. Like it's so hard for me to talk like, have just conversations with right. people at work. It, it's kind of a double-edged sword a little bit, too, because being able to talk to friends about magic is, like, so, like, in-depth and intricate, and the conversations get so interesting and all that stuff. And <laughs> sometimes I find myself in, you know, like, the social settings outside of magic, and they're like, you know, it's time to sm- small talk or whatever. I can't do this anymore. And, and I, just, I just can't do that anymore. <laughs> It's like, so, you know, so I have to ask all those lame questions like, oh, what do you do for fun? (laughs) It's just like, you know. But anyways, the uh, social aspect is is very important for me. It's important to have a good time outside of the tournament as well. Typically, we get together like a big dinner Mm -hmm. Saturday night. That's probably always my highlight for um, uh, pretty much every weekend is being able to have those big dinners with the people you don't get to see very often. Um, and, uh, you know, sometimes we're a little more prepared for that than others. You know, sometimes we have a reservation. Sometimes we're like, all right, what's good in this town? You know, but we've we've been to most of these places where we have a pretty good idea of uh, where the good restaurants are. I could probably list off, you know, two to three good restaurants in most of the cities that we hit pretty frequently. Yeah, it's helpful that the circuit travels to the same tournaments, yeah. or to the same cities fairly regularly. Yeah. Kind of for that reason. Yeah. So, you know, typically we, like, we have our go-tos. Sometimes we get, like, advice from a local or something mm-hmm. who's, like, you know, knows what's up and can give us good recommendations and stuff like that. Yeah. So, but, you know, I think that we're often so engrossed in the tournament itself that, you know, it, we're not, like, exploring the town as much. Right. It's mostly, like... Social... The, it, it's the social stuff that is the outside tournament fun stuff, mostly. Right. Yeah. Um, and that typically still happens in the tournament halls. But, you know, going out to dinner and stuff, and then, you know, depending on maybe how well the weekend's going right. or how poorly the weekend's going, like the, the bar hopping afterwards can be fun as well. Yeah, <laughs> but, not a lot when you're... the yeah. When I was X and 1 at the Open that I top-aided, mm-hmm. everybody wanted to go out, and I was like, I'm going to... I'm going to get a burrito and I'm going to go to sleep. Yeah, yeah. Good call. Good call, for sure. Yeah. I mean, I've definitely had I've definitely had some some crazy Saturday nights in, <laughs> in cities that, um, you know, but, you know, but that's just, it's just all part of it. It's, yeah. it's a lot of fun, for yeah, sure. definitely. Mm-hmm. Whenever anybody says it's not the magic, it's the gathering, mm-hmm. I always picture, like, a coven of witches. Like, <laughs> sure. Chin, chin, like, nobody wants to go, like, stand in a circle of arcane runes and chant eldritch words with me. <laughs> nobody wants to do the gathering. Come on. <laughs> um, but yeah, yeah, like... No, but it's true. Like, the way to have fun at a tournament is know people at the tournament mm-hmm. or reach out to people and, be, and, like, make some friends and go do stuff. Yeah. Um... So, you know, if, if you're at one of these tournaments and you don't really know that many people there, come hang out and, like, come have dinner with us. And, right. Like, you're, you're, you're welcome to come hang out. So, yeah, I mean, finding your social group and the people that you click with, really important. For yeah. Sure. So it is about a gathering. Yeah, it is. But <laughs> even though you might not, not like that phrase. Not how I, not how I yeah. can picture it. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, it's a good time. Cool. Yeah, it was hard to stop, stop talking, but I think 
I think we've probably covered everything that we we needed to cover. I think so. Big weekend. A really good weekend. Yeah. I was extremely happy to see you keep doing well and then just like lock up that top eight was that was very cool just kept on winning just kept that's all you got to do man it's great it feels so easy after you did it (laughs) well yeah it it does doesn't it like for sure yeah Um, oh man i so i still remember the (laughs) uh i don't know if i should tell this on air or not but (laughs) we can you can um, let me know Afterward, if you want to keep it. Well, I'm going to let you decide. I'm just going to tell the story. So, uh, notorious amulet titan cheater, Steven Speck. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Uh, So, I actually actually knew Steven um, because I was grinding Grand Prix about the same time he was. Right. And Um, for anybody who doesn't know the story, Steven Speck was the guy who was doing really well with amulet. Yeah, he he won a Grand Prix and then main finals of another Grand Prix, like back to back. Um, he had one Simeon Spirit Guide in his deck. And he had it every game. Well, because he was Palm and Seven. Because he was Palm and Seven. He was Palm and Seven. He just had turn one kills every time. <laughs> Anyways, uh, I remember, and so this was back when I, you know, I, I wasn't that great. Uh, I was still learning the game. And I remember I was playing in this Grand Prix. And I was like, kind of like down because I was like, I picked up two losses in maybe like the first five rounds of mm-hmm. the Grand Prix. And that's not what you want to do. No. And I was talking to Steven Speck about it, and he was like, it's fine, dude, just went out. Just went out. And I and that rings in my head every time. And the irony of it is hilarious. Yes. Because, yeah, it's, dude, if you're Palm and Sevens, you can just, you can easily you, you just went out. <laughs> but at the time, at the time, I was like, whoa, I love it. I just went out. Just what a great attitude. Yep. Just just went out. Because <laughs> once you have one out, then you're like, yeah, that's how it was going to go. Like, Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was just going to crush. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I love the Steven Speck cheating story just because, like, <laughs> the only reason to have one Simeon Spirit Guide in your amulet deck is if, if you're just going to cheat with it. Right. Like, there's no other reason to have that card in your deck. Yeah, it's crazy. <laughs> um, but, you know, it, and and it's also the only way that you can turn one anybody with amulet. Yep. It's, it's like, oh, okay, so Spirit Guide amulet kill you. All right, yeah, all right. And I remember seeing lists from other tournaments where people copied that and, like, put one spirit guide in their amulet deck because they were like, I guess we're doing this now? Like, and it became a thing. <laughs> but it's just awful in everybody's actual amulet deck. Yeah, yeah, hilarious. <laughs> I remember at that Grand Prix, uh, all this stuff is hilarious in hindsight. Kind of kind of not hilarious, kind of, like, oh, yeah, really sad. Oh, like, kind of depressing. <laughs> yeah, but I remember Stephen... He like scrubbed out of the limited Grand Prix and then just started grinding Winna boxes with in modern with, with, <laughs> with amulet. Does he walk away with like a case? <laughs> right? Yeah, he did. <laughs> That's terrible. Oh. Yeah. Anyways. Um, cool. Um, <laughs> all right. Well, that we is might, we, that is it for the Steven Speck story hour. <laughs> just really. Just really shitting on Steven Speck. For, for, for. I mean, if you're gonna just do that, you're gonna get some. Uh, for apparently, I just decided to to go in on this guy. Yeah, we weren't like super close, but it was you know, and or he definitely disappeared once he got accused of cheating or whatever. But well, yeah, I don't know. I sometimes I think back to those moments and, and just really everything find like the irony in it. The, like everything about those moments becomes reinterpreted in hindsight. It, no, it, it's crazy. Yeah. yeah. It's really great. Yeah. But anyway, that's, that's funny. Yeah. All right. Well, great. Good episode. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Thanks so much to everybody for listening. Um, definitely 
really appreciate you coming and hanging out with us. If you want to lend us some support, head over to patreon.com slash mtggrindcast or straight to our website, mtggrindcast.com, where you can find links to our Patreon, you can find links to Collins' coaching services, you can find all our episodes there. You can also find us on Twitter. I am tweeting from at CCR underscore Grindcast, and Collins is also on Twitter. At Collins Bullen. And, you know, hopefully... I'm trying to make a second place joke here, but I really don't want either of us to get second place at this MCQ. <laughs> Oof. Yeah, of all of all the tournaments to make second place yeah. in, probably don't want no, to win no, no. MCQ. Let's... So, somebody... One of us is going to win this One of MCQ. us needs to win this yeah, MCQ. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. That's, all, that's all that it is. Um, we'll let you guys know all about it next week. Yep. Thanks for listening, and we will see you then. Peace.